All right, hey, we're going to look at uh, the Gospel of Luke today. We're going to be in chapter 9, all right? So we're going to have it up on the screen for you momentarily. Um, but don't forget, you can open up your uh, Bible app on your smartphone or your tablet. You can even use the conventional paper if you want in the pew back, the Bible in the pew back in front of you. So Luke chapter 9. But let me pray first, uh, and then we'll turn uh, to the text itself. All right. Heavenly Father, again, grateful uh, to gather and particularly particularly at this time to anticipate uh, through your word that you'll speak to us, your word which is active and alive, um, your word which uh, tells us about your love and your power, uh, the word which is Jesus. Um, and so uh, we pray that, uh, uh, that your spirit would make our hearts and minds malleable, uh, that uh, you would break down any barriers that perhaps uh, we've inadvertently put up uh, to hearing what you would say to us and uh, just simply speak to each one of us uh, where we're at in our context of life and uh, how the word uh, applies to us today in the light of our, our, our confession uh, and our faith in Christ. So it's in his name we pray. Amen. All right. Well, a grace, a peace, and mercy to you from God our Father, from our Lord and Savior Jesus the Christ. Can I get an amen? amen? All right, very good. Thank you. All right, I like that. Hey, as I said earlier, we are in Luke chapter 9. We're actually at the end of the chapter, beginning at verse 51. And as I said, it's up on the screen before you. You can follow along, though, on your smartphone or the Bible in the pew back in front of you, depending on what version you prefer. Um, but let's go ahead and I'll read this uh, for you. And then we'll turn to the meaning of the text, uh, or at least in particular for today, a meaning of the text. So when the uh, days drew near for Jesus to be taken up, all right, uh, that is his uh, 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 crucifixion, resurrection, and ascension, he set his face to go to Jerusalem. And he sent messengers ahead of him. But the people did not receive him because his face was set towards Jerusalem. And when his disciples, James and John, saw it, they said, Lord, do you want us to tell fire to come down from heaven and consume them? But he turned and rebuked them, and they went on to another village. As they were going along the road, someone said to him, I will follow you wherever you go. And Jesus said to him, the foxes have holes and birds of the air have nests, but the Son of Man has nowhere to lay his head. To another he said, follow me. But he said, Lord, let me first go and bury my father. And Jesus said to him, leave the dead to bury their own dead. But as for you, go and proclaim the kingdom of God. And yet another, a third one said, I will follow you, Lord. But let me first say farewell to those at my home. And Jesus said to him, no one who puts his hand to the plow and looks back is fit for the kingdom of God. All right, so this is the text that we have uh, for today's uh, message. And, and I think this text is pretty straightforward, isn't it? I mean, Jesus doesn't mince words. He doesn't teach in a parable, because if you recall from your experience with Jesus when he teaches in a parable, it's often confusing, right? And he has to explain the parable so that people who are hearing him understand what he's meaning. He simply calls it what it is. If you're going to follow me, well, then do it. Put up or shut up, right? 
Stop allowing the cares of life to take precedent over what matters most. Now, must be said in my defense and in your defense, it's the cares of life, right? Which matter most, right? (laughs) Or at least we think matter most. Our material comforts, our need to be entertained, our need to be noticed, our health, uh, our need to get stuff done, right? We need to feel like we've accomplished something. Those are important things, right? Now, my sarcasm isn't necessarily an indictment of us because, brothers and sisters, let's be honest, life does require that we do things, right? (laughs) Um, There are lists of tasks that need to be completed. Uh, There are material, our food, our shelter, our clothing, those things things are important. Uh, But I would simply say it this way, perhaps maybe it makes a little bit more sense. The evidence against humanity, even in the church, though, is pretty substantial in terms of having misplaced priorities, in terms of having uh, distractions, in terms of having... um, Something else prominent in our life other than Jesus Christ himself, right? Now, it's easier for us if you're in church on Sunday, right? Or if you have a pattern of behavior during the week when maybe you're in Bible study or you're good about daily devotions. Uh, Those are helpful for you in keeping Christ before you. Uh, But if you're not in weekly worship, if you're not in in a regular Bible study or you're not used to doing daily devotions, it's even more difficult uh, for you to keep Christ before yourself. So let's talk about this episode and, and see perhaps how it might apply to our life of faith and what Jesus means. So the opening sentence of the paragraph in chapter 9, all right, let's go back to that. All right. When the days drew near for Jesus to be taken up, he set his face to go to Jerusalem. All right. He set his face to go to Jerusalem. Okay, so what's happening? Why does Luke say that? Well, Luke says that because previous chapter in 8, if you were to read all of 8, you would see this happening. You would see teaching. You would see miracles. You would see Jesus and the disciples moving from place to place. I mean, it's a beehive of activity. It's a display, if you will, of the fullness of God in Christ Jesus before the people of God. It's a real display of His power, teaching, miracles, uh, movement from place to place. It reminded me, in fact, of, of the Apostle Paul and his word to the to the Colossians in chapter 2. He says this, for in Christ all the fullness of the deity lives in bodily form. And that's exactly what we see in in all of chapter 8, the fullness of the deity in bodily form in Christ Jesus being lived out in his his teaching and in his miracles uh, and in the activity that is produced from his ministry and recorded uh, in the gospel. But then here's what happens. So as Luke records all this stuff going on in the life of Christ, in the life of the disciples, and this will take us into chapter 9 too, Luke actually offers a bridge to get us from all of this busyness, to get us from all of this work of Jesus. He offers us a bridge to this last section of Scripture, and that bridge that he offers us is actually a declaration uh, by the disciples that Jesus is the Messiah. This comes in Luke uh, chapter 9, it begins at verse 20. Jesus looks at them and says, well, okay guys, 
knowing what you know, seeing what you've seen, hearing what you've heard, right? Uh, Up until this point, who do you say that I am? And Peter says, you're the Messiah. You're the Messiah. And so we have proof of his Messiahship, and now we have a confession by his followers that he is the Messiah to get us to this place. And this is why he says what he says at this point, right? Because he's laid it out all before them. In deed and in word, right? So it's no longer can he sugarcoat it. No longer does he need to, 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 to teach him parables or anything like that. He simply has put it before him so that they know what it means to follow him. So that you and me understand a little bit more in our life of faith what it means for us to make him our reason for existence, if you will. To make him the object of the, the, the way we, of our day, the, or the, uh, the reason why we structure our day, our week, our month, our year, our life, the way we do. Think about it this way, all right? Verse 1, not verse 1, 51, sorry. That expression, he set his face, right? You see it up there on the screen. What does that mean? Well, it's an expression, which means resolute. It's an expression which means purposeful. It's an expression which means intentional. He turned his attention to fulfillment now that the other things had taken place. He's done what he's needed to do in order to prepare everyone, including himself, for what is to come. And so perhaps maybe even think of your own life. What do you do with purpose, right? What do you set your face towards. You know, if you're working, right, there's that intentionality in the morning, right? You get up at a certain time and you perhaps have a certain routine, um, but you've set your face towards getting to work, right? Um, You could even be on autopilot uh, when you do it, Uh, but nonetheless, uh, you still operate uh, in a way that's become second nature yet purposeful and intentional for you. But there's another reason why you do it too, because it's important, right? It's important. So think about, if you will, in your life then, some of those intentional practices that you have, you know, not necessarily spiritual practices, we'll get to that in a minute, but those intentional behaviors that you do with purpose on a regular basis. You know, um, I know know this isn't popular, uh, which doesn't matter just here or there but let me put it this way so one of the one of my most favorite sporting events to watch all right is the tour de france okay i don't know if you've ever had the opportunity to watch it or have any interest in cycling um it's not necessarily a a, you know as popular as football or baseball or any of those other sports in the states but um the tour starts next Saturday, July 6th, and it runs for three weeks, and it's on every morning early because it's being in, it's in France, right? So they're six hours ahead right now. And, uh, so that means when you get up in the morning, um, uh, can have it on uh, the TV. But it, it started me, I, st- I started thinking about this, that in the sense, in terms of the cyclists. Because it's not as if the cyclists get on a bike for the first time in July, Right? And expect to ride for the next three weeks and win, let alone even finish, right? Because 
if you think about it, there's intentionality in their training and competition, which lasts throughout the whole year. They set their face and their wheels, if you will, towards Paris long before they ever set foot in France, right? They're training daily. Uh, they're working purposefully, purposefully. Everything that they do is intentional up for this moment. So as you read through the text, you see the problem. Because as Jesus sets the priority and the pace, it's the crowd, the peloton, if you follow cycling, it's the peloton behind him that is confused about priorities, confused about what it means to follow him with your heart, with your mind, with your soul, with your, with your body. Because don't miss that last part of the text, all right? It's the very last line. Can you bring that up? Look at verse 61, halfway in. But let me first, let me first go and do. But let me go do this. Uh, I will later, after I've done that. You see, the two other guys before him have come up with excuses, but I think this one sums it up the best, right? This is where someone thinks that they have something more important to do course now he's not saying you can't say goodbye to your family young man but it's simply uh, structured in the way it's structured and written in the way it's written to make a point uh, so that that phrase stands out but let but first let me go and because it's one thing to have uh, rejected him outright and the text tells us that happens right that's what happens in the first part of the scriptures but it's another to say, yes, I'm a follower of Jesus and, be par- and, and to say that you're prepared to, to pay the cost, uh, to not only receive him, uh, to know the forgiveness of sins and the reality of life everlasting, uh, to know his teachings, but then also to be willing to base your life on his teachings, to be willing to structure your day, to structure your week, to structure your existence around him. Because so often than not, we we slip into that, but first, I've got to go do this. But first, I've got to go do that. Sort of reminds me of this uh, old Methodist hymn, all right, from the late 1800s. It's titled, I Surrender All. Have you ever heard of this this hymn? It's actually not in our hymnal, but if um, you, you know, if you grew up in another church body or or what, you're probably familiar with it. Um, It goes like this, um, all to Jesus I surrender. All to him I freely give. I will ever love and trust him in his presence daily I live. So, you know, Christians have been thinking about living this way, right? Uh, For a long time. All to Jesus I surrender, humbly at his feet. Uh, I bow worldly pleasures all forsaken. Take me, Jesus. Wait, I missed the... (laughs) I messed that up. Take me, Jesus, take me now. I surrender all, I surrender all to thee, my blessed Savior. I surrender all. It keeps on going uh, with that type of language of surrender, right? Not just possessions, but meaning I surrender my spirit. I surrender my time. I surrender my, 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 the structure of my day, so to speak. Um, it's one thing to sing it, right? <laughs> but it's another thing to live it. And this text, in in many ways, holds up a mirror before you and me and challenges us to evaluate our life of discipleship in light of the responses 
that were given by those who said they would follow Jesus, right? To ask ourselves, have we filled our life with, with maybe a verbal confession, but yet uh, our daily existence doesn't reflect that? Do we have a, a, a pocket full of excuses that we can draw on? So how about this then? Speaking of excuses, perhaps we might ask ourselves, how can we protect ourselves, right, in a way, uh, from uh, this type of response in our life of faith? How can we uh, keep ourselves from being distracted? Uh, because, brothers and sisters, I want to put it before you this way. You know, it's not about efficiency. It's not about productivity. It's not about a popularity or any of those idols of the age, all right, uh, because this is what it's about. It's about Jesus. It's about Jesus. The forgiveness of sins, the reality of life everlasting in Christ for you and for me. Uh, Jesus who has come into the world not to condemn it, but to what? To save it, right? This all the fullness of the deity dwelling in him so that we'll have life and have life to the fullest. Full, not because it's filled with the pursuits and the idols of the age, but life to the full because by the very power of the Holy Spirit working in you and me, we're able than to respond to that call of God on our lives to come and follow Christ. We're able, by the power of the Holy Spirit living in us, uh, to cultivate a life and witness that is reflective of His work, His teaching, and His service to the world. So it goes, it goes back to Jesus. It's not about those who, who made up the excuses, right? I mean, yeah, the text takes a lot of time up dealing uh, with those three uh, responses, right? in those three examples. But they're just a means. They're just a means to get us to where we need to be. And that's why Christ is in the text. So look at that last example right there. Okay. Where Jesus says, no one who puts his hand to the plow and looks back is fit for kingdom, uh, for, fit for service in the kingdom of God. All right. Do you know what that means? Perhaps if you have like a, a farming background or a, a knowledge of that. The point of the plow is that if you look back, what's going to happen? You're going to veer off to the side, right? That furrow that you long to have straight and narrow is going to zig or zag, right? It's going to not be straight at all. It will, uh, uh, you know, it's kind of like think about when you're driving a car and you, you reach over in the chair next to you, or maybe you reach behind you to grab something off the back seat, or you, you reach down to pick something off the floorboard, or God forbid you're on your phone texting, right? <laughs> what happens? You, you start to, without even knowing it, you begin to kind of float, don't you? You begin to veer off. Um, so the plowman has to focus on the horizon and a point on the horizon in order to drive the oxen or the John Deere, Right? Uh, constant looking around is not going to result in a well-plowed field. Focus is critical. So, you know, maybe think of it this way. What does your field look like? Are your furrows straight, right? Uh, how's your focus? Uh, do your lines zig and zag? Do they veer off to the side? Can you honestly say in terms of self-reflection, based upon the excuses that are given in the text, that your life, um, in a way, reflects your belief? Does that make sense? So for some of you, it's simply an issue of baby steps. That's where you're at. 
baby steps needing to learn how to set your face towards a life of discipleship. Some of you, you know, in all fairness to you, you didn't grow up with that. Uh, You're not quite sure, you know, what that looks like in your life or really how to do it. Uh, Some of you are walking. It's part of your practice. Others of you are running. You, you, in a sense, have it mastered. You know, the challenge to you and to me is to recognize and take advantage of what we offer as the body of Christ for discipleship, for encouraging one another in a life uh, that, that bears witness not just on a Sunday, but on Monday through Saturday, bears witness to a belief that Christ is Lord and Savior. So the text, I think, in a sense, asks us for some Holy Spirit-led self-evaluation, right? Because I think in knowing where you're at and taking intentional steps to keep Christ before you, because He's in the midst of it all, He reminds us as well that He's with us, that He'll never leave us or forsake us, and He will make possible that call on your life to come and follow Him. So remember that first phrase from that first paragraph, He set His face to go, resolute, purposeful, intentional, and may He lead us to that place as well. In Jesus' name, amen.